Hello. This is a quick message from the production team. I hope you are enjoying the Illegally Speaking podcast. Due to the current COVID-19 link crisis, the next few episodes will be recorded through our video communication software. Thanks for your understanding, and do stay safe. The episode will now begin. Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasum Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Corey Kupfer, an expert strategist, deal maker, and business consultant with more than 30 years of professional negotiating experience as a successful entrepreneur and attorney. To find out more, you can visit their website at kupferlaw.com or coreykupfer.com. So welcome, Corey. It's so great to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to, um, to to be with us today, Corey. There's a lot we need to get through in terms of all of your um, achievements and your background to date. But before we go through all of that, we do have a customary question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which you may be familiar with. Um, but on the uh, the scale of one to ten, ten being very real, how real do you rate the hit series uh, Suits? <laughs> um, well, I, I'd say probably a five. I, I have to admit, I haven't watched that many episodes of it, and I don't litigate, so you can take uh, my five with a great assault. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Well, um, listen, well, I'm, I'm really keen to talk through your journey. Um, I know as of now, obviously, you're an expert sort of strategist, dealmaker, attorney, consultant, 30 years. You've achieved so much, but what's most interesting is you were you were an entrepreneur turned um, sort of attorney. So I guess it'd be really helpful for our listeners to to know a bit more about your sort of life as a, as an entrepreneur before we sort of talk about your, your your legal world and all your other wider initiatives as well. So take us back and and talk us through your entrepreneurial days. Well, sure. I mean, so I I grew up in in Brooklyn, New York, in the United States, and uh, I uh, when I was fifteen, you know, I mean, I, I had the lemonade stands and the lawn mowing and that kind of stuff that a lot of kids uh, do. But when I was fifteen, I was working for a company delivering flyers, you know, advertising circulars door to door, and I started stopping on uh, the route and getting my own accounts and hiring my, my friends to go deliver them. And as a fifteen year old kid, and uh, and I'm dating myself here, but in in 1976 through um, 1978, when I was 17 and left for college, I was making about $300 a week US, uh, which was a lot of money for in those days for a kid my age. Uh, uh, and then, you know, all throughout college, I ran businesses, but I came from a family where it was like, no, you go to school, you get an education, you get a job. Um, so I got out of school, uh, you know, went to law school, graduated, got a big firm job in New York City. Um, and uh, between that and a medium-sized firm, I did about six years getting experience. But my entrepreneurial uh, bug was too big. And uh, when I was 30 years old, I uh, sort of hung out a shingle and started my own law firm and uh, have had it in various forms ever since, uh, along with a number of other businesses and consulting and real estate investing and various other things. And that's that's really really interesting because you know you've you, you've you've been involved in the legal sector and you've gone with all of this entrepreneurial flair. But just sort of taking it back, and I know you know we'll talk about your podcast shortly as well. And you know I know that's around sort of fueling this. But what what what's your view? Having spoken to lots of entrepreneurs, meeting lots of entrepreneurs, do you think you're you're, you're kind of born with it, or do you think it's something that is part of you? Give me your your take on that kind of entrepreneurial um, aspect. Well, I sort of break people down into three categories. I think there are people who will. Uh, work for somebody for the rest of their lives. And I want to make clear, I don't say that with any kind of judgment. I, right? I think, I think self-knowledge, self-awareness is key. 
And there are people who are just not meant to be entrepreneurs. They're meant to be great employees, you know, number, number two, three, four, five, six in the company or number 2000 or whatever it is. Uh, and, you know, if, if you're that kind of person and that's what you get out for, then great, go sell there. Um, and then there are natural born entrepreneurs, which I believe I'm one of them. I mean, I just can't help myself. And, you know, I, my, uh, uh, my joke, and it's not original. Other people said this is that I, you know, I'm unemployable at this point. I mean, you know, this, <laughs> but then I think you do have this middle category of what I call situational entrepreneurs. You know, I know people who don't have that sort of natural, like have to be an entrepreneur or can't work for somebody. But they are in a particular situation where, you know, an opportunity comes up or, uh, you know, a client, uh, you know, they're unhappy where they are. And a client says, well, why don't you just, you know, go on your own? I'll be your first client. And they, you know, based upon the situation or, you know, they're in a recession and they can't find a job and they start consulting or whatever it is. And they become situational entrepreneurs. And so I think there's, I think there's three categories. I think there's the born entrepreneurs, there's the people who never be entrepreneurs, and then there's the situational entrepreneurs. Yeah, I really like the way you put that and, and sort of categorize that. And you're absolutely right. No, no, no three are better or indifferent to, to each other. Everyone just has their own journey um, that they, they go along. And, you know, we, we don't just want to talk about all the successes of entrepreneurs as well. I think, you know, my, myself included and maybe yourself, you know, failings and what you've learned from your failings. Are there any things that from, from, from your past, obviously you've been hugely successful and everything you've gone on to achieve, but, you know, you've got to have a lot of knocks and failings along the way. So what would you say uh, are some of your greatest learns as, a, as an entrepreneur? No. Oh, listen, no, no question. I mean, you know, I, I remember, I'll just share something quickly because, you know, just to really uh, highlight this point that you made, uh, you know, I think people who are earlier in the entrepreneurial journey are people who aren't on the entrepreneurial journey, you know, only see, you know, it's easy to only see the successes because that's what most of us show, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but I don't know a single entrepreneur who's not been had ups and downs and had challenges. We did uh, something, uh, you know, when I was uh, very active in entrepreneurs organization, uh, EO is a nationwide, uh, I mean, actually a global uh, organization of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we had something uh, called the Night of the Living Dead, where, where every entrepreneur shared their, their, you know, their horror stories on, on the journey. Um, you know, for me, I mean, listen, I, I've been through a couple of partnership breakouts, break, breakups over the years, which have been challenging. You know, I, I've been, I'll share probably the toughest time uh, in my entrepreneurial career, which came Actually, you know, pretty late. I mean, uh, it was the uh, 2008, 2009 Great Recession, uh, where I, you know, I had been in business for 20 something years. Th- you know, thought I was pretty much set. You know, had run a very successful firm, and then the the next thing I knew, you know, my my revenues are down 20, 30, 30 40, 50, 60 thousand dollars a month uh, because nobody's doing deals. Uh, I have clients going out of business; they're not paying me, and uh, you know, I had to spend a lot of money money building out a new office. I had to take it out a line of credit to do that, and. You know, those were the days when you actually had to pay for server rooms and, you know, $50,000 in, in wiring and, and a bunch of computers in a closet. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I ended up, um, I mean, I tell this story in my authentic negotiating book. And when I do talks, uh, I mean, I ended up giving up uh, my, my apartment because, uh, you know, money was so tight there for a while and uh, sleeping on an air mattress in my, in my last front office. Uh, it, you know, and I had to make sure, I, fortunately, we had a shower in the office. I had to make sure I got up you know, in time to, to shower and be dressed before my employees came into work. Uh, uh, you know, and that was just uh, now, what, uh, you know, 12, to 11, 12 years ago. Uh, you know, I ended up with $325,000 in debt. And in fact, a lot of the principles in my um, authentic negotiating book uh, that I had developed over the years crystallized for me at that time because, you know, it's easy to advise other people on, uh, you know, working for clients on how, on, on how to negotiate things or negotiate things that are easy yourself. 
but when you're in those kind of challenging situations and it really counts and it's, you know, it's your livelihood and your family and, and, you know, uh, paying the rent and eating, the rubber hits the road. So, uh, you know, a lot of the, um, what got me out of that with my reputation intact without declaring bankruptcy, without short sailing the house that I had, that was, uh, you know, uh, my weekend home that was, uh, that was on the water uh, economically, like people recommended to me, uh, you know, and to pay everybody back because that was my commitment was all the, te- you know, all of the things that I, um, that I put in my authentic negotiating book. And, you know, it was a humbling time. And, uh, and, you know, what I, what I learned and what I preach to people uh, is to uh, be in communication, be transparent, decide what you're going to do. For me, it was my moral compass that had me say, no, I, I made these commitments. I'm going to pay back every dollar. Uh, I don't judge people to make a different decision, but for me, that was the decision. And, you know, I, it was a tough time, but we got through it and, you know, came back even stronger. Yeah. And that's, that's a fascinating story. And what I really like about that is, and that shows that you're a, a true entrepreneur in my eyes as well, is that very much that whatever it takes mentality. You know, you're talking about sleeping on, you know, airbed mattresses, talking about sort of, you know, complete skin in the game. You're talking about staying true to your values at all costs. And yeah, I think that's just a wonderful story and, and hopefully a, a real inspiration to lots of other people. And we should point out that your, you know, your um, book is very much available on Amazon and, you know, it really is worth people sort of, you know, getting involved and, and giving that a list and, you know, and read because I think around that sort of authentic negotiating and, and getting deals done, which is very much what you're known for. I think really has sort of helped you and could help so many other people and and more so in current times, given the current situation, you know, we, we are in a bit of a, a global, you know, I don't like to use the word lightly crisis, but, you know, we are going through a pandemic, you know, is there anything you would, you, you would share given sort of, you know, having been through tough times, maybe recessions, bad experience before that you would give us some advice for people or just to kind of keep people positive at this point in time, Corey? Yeah, well, I think I think you know what you just said is the first key, right? I mean, I believe that our uh, our mental state, our spiritual state, our you know emotional state is where everything starts, right? Because you know you see it now already, uh, you know, in these times, you know, I'm sure you've seen it with your business colleagues and friends and whatever. Some of them are in a total panic or depression, and and some of them, and uh, you know, and I actually did a um, I did a little post on this. Uh, I think it was about a week ago. Where you know one of the things I observed is that entrepreneurs and business leaders uh, tend to be in a much more positive mind state than uh, employees and some of the self-employed folks who don't haven't really built a business, you know, that beyond themselves. And um, and you know, it's not universally true, but I and and this is anecdotal. I haven't done a study, but you know, but I, but but that's what I've been noticing. And I think you know, maybe in part it's because as entrepreneurs and business leaders, we feel maybe we have more control. We're just generally up, more optimistic people in general. But I, I think mindset, you know, everything for me starts with mindset because I, I actually, you know, this is going to get to a place where people may not expect it to go on a legally speaking podcast. But I, you know, I, uh, listen, I, I believe in energy. I really do. I believe, uh, you know, I don't believe in the law of attraction in the oversimplistic way that some people talk about it. It's not what you think about, you bring about, but it's based upon what Bob Proctor calls the law of vibration. It's the vibration you're in. So, you know, if you truly believe that, that, you know, things are going to be, a, you know, uh, go bad, then we're likely to go bad. And that's because one, I mean, quantum physics has shown that everything is energy. It's, you know, it's not like the, the, the science of that has sort of come together with Eastern spiritual consciousness. So everything is energy and, and it does affect each other. But even if you don't believe that, right? If you are in a place of scarcity or, um, fear or, uh, you know, any of those things that can come up in these times, then you're much like less likely to be motivated. You're much less likely to think clearly. You're much less likely to take the actions 
that you need to take that will put you in the best position, you know, in challenging times. So, you know, even if you don't believe in the energy thing, it's, it's sort of, you know, your mindset and your actions and your, uh, you know, you, and your ability to be creative. Um, so the first thing I always say to people is, listen, work on your mindset. And then, yeah, I mean, some of the lessons from, you know, the 2008 recession, be in communication with people, be honest with people, be authentic with people. You know, if, if, you, if you can't pay a bill, don't hide out, you know, call the creditor, work something out. I remember back in those days, there were people who wanted, you know, whatever, $15,000 from me. And I, and I was like, uh, you know, I can pay you $75 a month, but, uh, but you'll get paid. So I think, uh, you know, start with the mindset and then listen, hopefully you are clear on what your core values are, you know, at this time. And if you're not, please get clear on them. And, you know, it's easy to be consistent with our core values when times are good, but th- when times are challenging or when you get really tested, right? Because it's easy to do things out of fear. Uh, and so I would say get, get reconnected to your core values and you will be much better off, uh, in the short term and in the long term, especially if you act, uh, from, from that place as opposed to a place of fear is guessing. So Corey, in these, uh, in these times, as, as you'll know, here in the UK, we're, we're now in lockdown. I know you guys over in the US have been in lockdown as well. You know, how have you been dealing with that as a, as, as a law firm and how's that impacted you? Well, you know, what's been really interesting for us, Robert, is that if this were, you know, five plus years ago, it would have impacted us significantly. But frankly, for the most part, it has not, from a business point of view, operations point of view, has not uh, affected us uh, really at all. And that seems like a strange comment. But the reason is this. Um, About five years ago, when I split up uh, a partnership and reestablished my firm, as I sort of mentioned earlier, um, the... um, we, I did sort of an analysis of the business model and I looked at it and I, uh, I, I actually tracked how many times we met with clients in the office. And it was almost never like, and, and this comes from somebody who most of my career, like it would, like if you didn't meet with a client, you, you know, you didn't, or a prospect, you didn't get the work. Nowadays, you know, everybody's busy. Nobody wants to travel. I'm talking even before, you know, the pandemic or anything. Um, people just wouldn't meet. So when I reestablished my, uh, my firm after the partnership breakup, you know, my own firm, uh, uh five years ago, uh, I essentially, I mean, we, we have an office address. We have, you know, we have, we have meeting space. Um, but we effectively went virtual. And so my whole team has been working, uh, you know, from home with a place to come in if, if, if we have meetings or if we want to gather. Um, uh, already. And, you know, we, so we, you know, we, we do a lot on, uh, on zoom, uh, video. We do a lot, you know, obviously on conference call, uh, you know, nowadays, listen, if you have a phone line and an internet connection and, you know, uh, you know, computer and email, uh, for what I do, cause I don't go to court. Uh, you know, I do deals, I do negotiations, we do contracts, we can work from anywhere. So my team has been working remotely. Uh, you know, we have a great self-starting, you know, team who get the, get the work done. So when this happened, we, we're just continuing to operate under our business model, which is very different than what's happened with most law firms who have to make a major shift. I think that's a major, I think that's a major wake up maybe to some law firms who have been a bit behind the curve in terms of actually appreciating the need to be, you know, more virtually operating or be more with the tech time. So I think it's definitely going to kickstart a lot of law firms into to, to rethinking their strategy, right? No, I, I, no question about it. I mean, I think a lot of businesses in general, but certainly law firms, because, you know, frankly, we tend to be behind the times often on technology and on business models. And, you know, um, for me, I mean, I think uh, what a lot of lawyers uh, who manage people, partners are going to have to get past is, you know, this sort of traditional model of feeling like they need their associates and their staff sort of under their thumb and physically there. Uh, and, you know, there are different ways that you can do it, uh, you know, virtually. 
Um, uh, but, you know, it can work and it's worked very, very well. And frankly, it's also allowed me to, um, to get good talent who, uh, you know, I have one of my main associates, for example, is a mother of two children and she loves the ability to work virtually because she can be home when the kids come home from school. And then, you know, uh, make some dinner or, you know, spend some time with them and get back to work, you know, later when she wants to. And for me, I've always managed not by micromanaging people's tasks, but by managing uh, by expectations for results. So, you know, we have to satisfy clients' needs. We have to keep them happy. I'm going to hold people accountable to that. But I don't care when and how you do it, uh, as long as the clients are being satisfied and you're available, you know, for meetings and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we've done that very successfully virtually for the last five years. So when this pandemic came, you know, it's really business as usual for us. Yeah, no, well said, well said. What I also want to talk to you about, Corey, is, and we kind of like, you gave a light overview of your, your career uh, to date, but, you know, it's kind of maybe take, take us a bit in a bit more detail, you know, how, you know, what were the practical steps you took from your time in other law firms to then, you know, how did you set up your, you know, New York, you know, hugely successful current firm where you stand today? Give some of the sort of practical steps and, and things that you did and what you learned along the way. Sure. So as I said, I put in about six years at you know uh, at a very large uh, uh, U.S. firm, and then and then a medium-sized firm. And the reason I moved from the large firm to the medium-sized firm is because at the large firm I was just I was doing deals, you know, I was, which was great. I mean, it's really formed a lot of my uh, the basis for what I do now. Um, but it was all all huge deals. It was big leverage buyouts and and, and public securities work and big mergers and acquisitions. And, uh, and I knew I wanted to go out on my own. And I, and I, and I sort of knew that General Electric Credit Corp and people like that, that were clients of my old firm were not going to, uh, give me, you know, a business when I hung out my little shingle from day one. Right. So I needed to get some of the smaller, uh, deal, general corporate counsel contract, uh, experience. So I went to a medium sized firm to get that, uh, you know, that more sort of day to day, uh, corporate and, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and mediums and smaller firm uh, experience. And then once I had that, you know, I, it was, uh, you want to talk about recessions. It was uh, end of 1991, beginning of 1992, which was a recession in the U.S. Uh, when I started my firm and everybody told me I was crazy, you know, and I just, I just was done. I couldn't work for somebody anymore talking about this natural born entrepreneur, you know, thing. Didn't leave with a book of business, started with nothing because the firm I was at had long-term institutional clients. So although I had some good relationships that, you know, they weren't, the clients weren't moving at that time. And I, I, I literally started my firm networking. I mean, I went to every networking event that there was. I mean, you name it. I was in networking events in New York, in New Jersey, in Connecticut, evenings and mornings. And, uh, and, and I started building it from there. In New York, there was a, uh, something called the union legal plan. So in other words, it, it was a, it was a benefit that the union provided to the teachers in, in New York City, and they had a panel of lawyers who would work on a significantly reduced fee. Uh, so I got signed up for that, started work, doing some work for teachers um, at, a, at a very, very reduced rate. And I remember my, uh, my friends at the big firms were like, you know, why are you working for a third of the rate that you could charge? And I said to them, because you don't understand if my, 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 my menu is zero or a third, <laughs> not, not, not a third or triple, right? You know, so yeah. <laughs> you take what you can get. And um, so, you know, I, I mean, I, I just hustled, you know, built it up from nothing. Within, uh, within a year and a half, I brought in a partner because I had built up enough business somehow that was, uh, you know, worth about one and a half attorney's worth. And I had a, a friend of mine who we used to work together at a prior firm and and he was a litigator. And at, at, in, you know, in the early days, I was doing a little bit of everything. I was going to court. I didn't know what I was doing. I was getting calling him for advice. 
Uh, and then somehow I convinced them to leave a big firm and join me. And, you know, we built the thing over, you know, the next decade to, um, you know, nine attorneys and, uh, you know, running a couple, you know, a couple million dollars in revenue and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, um, you know, in the beginning, it was hustle. Um, over time, it's evolved. You know, I don't do any of that kind of, and I haven't for many years, that kind of business card handout networking anymore. But it's, you know, it's evolved into um, uh, into being a member of various organizations like Entrepreneurs Organization and, uh, you know, over the years and things like that, where I've made great contacts. It's evolved into speaking, uh, you know, which is a one-to-many as opposed to a one-to-one, which develops a lot of business to me. And then, you know, as you alluded to, you know, books, podcasts, putting out content online and, uh, you know, and the business model has continued to evolve. And we've fortunately, you know, with a, with a couple of hiccups during recessions have uh, continued to grow significantly. Yeah, and that's great. And what I also pick up from that as well, just gleaming on the thing of entrepreneurship is, you know, you've always ran at the problem um, rather than running away from the problem. And you use the word hustling a lot. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a real difference between, you know, there's hustling and, you know, and it's that action, isn't it? Prepared to take action. You know, we're in a downturn or in a crisis moment at the moment. You can't run away from the problem. You've got to take it face on. You've got to tackle it and you've got to ultimately, t- you know, be prepared to, to take that action. And uh, yeah, I think that's really sage advice that you've offered there. I think there's so much else we want to talk about and you've touched on a few of the points as well because you're right you've spoken for the entrepreneurs organization you know fidelity institutional wealth services new york state bar move the crowd city the list goes on and on and on and on and on are there any kind of top things that you know when you are speaking that you always relate to people that might be quite helpful for people listening in is sort of just takeaways well yeah i mean so there's a few different things that i speak on i mean we you know all the deal making and uh, and negotiating i do workshops on that i speak a lot in the financial services industry because i've developed a real niche in that industry uh and that's you know and and that's not a direct answer to your question but it, it is a tip for people that you know if you can if you can niche down and have a specific area where you really become known as an attorney as opposed to being a generalist it really makes a difference um so you know but a lot of the a lot of the speaking i do and it's it's true about the content i put out it's you know it's it's the reason for the book is i work with companies to help them grow right um and we do that you know through inorganic growth or deal driven growth and that's not just big mergers and acquisitions it's you know, everything from licensing to joint ventures, strategic alliances, affiliate deals. I mean, there's so many, I can go on and on, I won't, but there's so many types of, of deals that smaller companies, two large companies can do with or without capital. Um, and really the message is, hey, every company, you're focusing on organic growth, sales, marketing, getting more customers, and you need to do that. If you can't sell a service or product, you shouldn't be in business. But there's only a small percentage of companies that also grow inorganically through deal-driven growth. And there are so many opportunities out there to do uh, strategic alliances and joint ventures and licensing and, and you know, joint marketing, whatever it is, uh, that is a growth opportunity, both in good times and in, in downturns. Uh, and it's, it's at least something you should be considering if you're in business and, you want, and you're not growing as quickly as you'd like. Okay. And then just in terms of, um, you know, mo- modern day attorneys, you know, lawyers, um, maybe they are in a firm at the moment, they're getting itchy feet. You know, what advice would you give to them if they were to, you know, to take the step, you know, to take that step to maybe set up their own firm? Because, you know, naturally there is a, a conception. It's not all. Um, and I will caveat it's not all. But, you know, most maybe people in the league profession might be slightly risk 
reverse and you know all making that step is it right is it not i mean you, you gave a fascinating example of the fact moving with you know not much business whatsoever and just outright hustling but looking back on people in the modern world you know the legal sector has changed significantly what advice would you give to people who may be you know encouraging them to maybe set up their own firms yeah so i mean you know listen like you said uh, our you know the profession tends to lean towards the risk averse in terms of personality and training no question and, you know, not as many people are going to make, I mean, you know, I, I was paying my rent on credit cards and had over $100,000 in debt when I first started my firm uh, until I started making money. And, you know, a lot of people aren't going to do that. Um, yeah. But I would, I would say a couple of things. First of all, we're in a very different time than when I started. Okay. You know, when I split up a, a business partnership, you know, a law partnership about five years ago uh, and restarted a firm. It was basically a, a few laptops, uh, computers, and six hundred dollars a month in, in cloud programs, and you're up and running. So, first of all, the the investment that you need to make nowadays is a lot less than it used to be to get started because of technology, and because of the uh, fact that there's not a you know uh, there's not a huge you, you know you don't need a huge office with books in, in a conference room these days necessarily, right? People almost never meet in person anymore, so that's shifted. Um, the second thing is obviously there are some people who will be able to leave with a book of business, which, you know, which cushions it. Um, but the third thing is, listen, um, I, what drove me is that I had a vision of a way that I thought I could do it better. There were things that I didn't like about the way clients were being handled, about the way, definitely about the way attorneys and staff were being treated, at least in the New York City, uh, big firm, uh, you know, world in those days, it was very hierarchical and it was very, uh, at times, frankly, abusive, uh, you know, in terms of the way the uh, some of the partners would treat the associates and how everybody would treat the staff. And, you know, that was just not in keeping with my values and vision. So I had a bigger vision of what I wanted to do. And I think a lot of people uh, leave a place, uh, you know, or, or start their own firm because they don't like, uh, you know, and that's a good motivator if you're unhappy with something. But I would really encourage you to also have that positive pull, not just running from something, but create a vision for what you want to create. Because when things get tough, and they will, right, usually, I mean, unless, you know, you're leaving someplace with a million dollar book of business, and you're all set, the clients are coming with you. Uh, and even in those cases, you're probably gonna have challenges, right? Um, you know, but but it may get tough, and there are ups and downs. And if you don't have a bigger vision that's pulling you forward, uh, and a way you want to serve clients, and a way you want to treat employees, and a way you want to grow your business, and the, and the impact that maybe you want to have in the community and society with your time and the money you make and the influence you get, um, then it, you know then it's tougher. But when you have that bigger vision, it's easier in those tough times to reconnect to that and uh, and push through and hustle. Yeah, well said, well said. And you, you mentioned again, we are in a completely new world. We're in a tech world, whether people like it or not. And so, you know, one of the things you talked about going back to your um, your journey was, you know, getting out there, hustling, handing out business cards, meeting people. You know, that's almost would be the wrong advice now in the modern world in terms of e-networking and networking your way out there with the modern time. Is there anything you would say or you do or you continue to do? Obviously, you can never put the price on, obviously, face-to-face -face networking. It's great. But for people to get mass networking that's effective networking, is there anything tips you would give, particularly moving into this, this sort of world that we're operating now? Well, listen, we're in a world of, uh, of content, right? So, you know, for many, many years, even, even though I, you know, I built my firm uh, to a very successful firm through very traditional means, right? You know, networking, providing great services for people, getting referrals, building good centers of influence, you know, referral sources, that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that always sort of frustrated me, though, was how do I keep top of mind with all my clients, right? And in the old days, you know, attorneys used to send out maybe snail mail, you know, newsletters 
and everybody was sort of doing the same thing. And it was, you know, it was just tough. And, 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 and it would drive me crazy occasionally when I would see a client, they said, oh, you know, we just did X and it was something we could have handled for them. And they, and they didn't bring it to us just because they didn't realize we didn't do it. Right. Or, uh, you know, or with referral sources, you know, they, you know, if you're not top of mind, they may give it to someone else. So one of the things that I, you know, done recently, and this is, I think, the, you know, the, the, the best play right now is we put out a lot of content, uh, you know, online, LinkedIn, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter. We've been starting to do some Instagram stuff. LinkedIn's my biggest, the biggest one for me where my clients are. Um, and we put out a lot of valuable content for free, right? You know, just things on deals, things on negotiating, uh, things on, um, you know, the financial services and res- registered investment advisor space where we do a lot, uh, on tech, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and it keeps it keeps you top of mind. I, I can't tell you. I mean, if I haven't talked to somebody in a while and I get on the phone with them, almost to a person, they will say to me, "Corey, I've been reading your blogs. Corey, I've been looking at you, what you do yeah. on LinkedIn. Corey, I listen yeah. to your podcast. You know your podcast. I mean, so it, it, it's a way to keep top of mind. Now, here's the interesting part. For the most part, I mean, there are some things that I could directly trace. Oh, I put out the book. I got this speaking engagement because of the book, and I got you know, X amount of business from that. But for the most part, it's hard to trace directly back. But what I know is when we started heavily putting out content uh, about five years ago, um, you know, four or five years ago, in anticipation of my book coming out and just recognizing the new model, uh, our business has grown, you know, significantly every year. And we were up 60%, 60% last year off of a pretty big base already. Uh, and, you know, I, I attribute that to having an understanding of the digital landscape and and the desire for content and how people look for you nowadays, which is very different than yeah, handing out a business card at an in-person network event, which I'm not saying don't do, but you gotta be you gotta be online, you gotta be giving value. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. It's continuous content that's value add um, to your audiences. And people, like you say, will grow with you during your, they may be dormant. They may, you may not hear from them for three, six months, but they're watching you and you'll be able to articulate your story. You're adding value to them. And it's so great. And, and I guess that's just a great success story. And people, again, listening in, that is the future. If you fail to, you've got to find your platform. Uh, I'm a bit like you. LinkedIn's where I tend to go all in um, because we've got lots of people li- uh, listening in and, and watching us. But, you know, find your platforms, find out what works. You put decent content out there that adds value to your networks and you will see wins in the long term. And and that leads us on to, we've, we've touched on it a few times, but one of my favorite podcasts, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the show uh, today, but the Fueling the Deals podcast, because I just love doing deals. It's what's making me tick as, a, as an entrepreneur business owner. So uh, tell people a bit more who may be new to building the deals what that's all about and uh yeah give us a bit of a an overview. yeah absolutely so you know what's interesting for me is i up until about maybe uh three four years ago i had never listened to a podcast at all not a single podcast uh and then you know i sort of i won't tell the story on who uh, you know how i started getting into them a little bit and then i started studying the model and um you know what i found out is a few things the average podcast doesn't even last 15 episodes so, you know, what I would say to you, uh, you know, folks out there, listeners, if you're thinking about doing a podcast, study the model and figure out what works and don't do it unless you're committed to it. And that's sort of the way I operate. I spend a little time figuring out what it is and I'm either all in or I'm not in, right? Yeah. Um, so, we're, you know, we're now 60 some odd episodes in over a year in, we do a weekly podcast. And um, what's been great about the Fueling Deals podcast is that it was always intended to be a you know, sort of a niche podcast, right? I'm not looking to get a million downloads. It's not a general interest podcast. What it is, it's directed towards, you know, uh, people like who are my uh, clients or like my clients, my prospects. And, and also, uh, you know, I'm happy if it gives value to somebody I'll never, ever work with. 
Um, but it's you know for entrepreneurs and business leaders who are looking to grow and, uh, and maybe frustrated that they're not growing as quickly as they'd like through the organic growth route, as I said before. So you know we have guests on that are uh, entrepreneurs who have done all kinds of uh, types of deals, service providers like investment bankers and and business brokers and uh, you know and 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 consultants and valuation people. Um, and you know we have them share their journeys, their stories, their their expertise. Uh, and where they came from, you know, sort of like, you know, what, what I'm doing here on your podcast. And the whole intention is, you know, uh, what listeners have, have told me is, you know, it's a great way for them to really get a feel for the deal landscape, to understand what's, what's out there, and then to really hear people's stories on how they've done some very interesting deals to help them grow. Uh, and, you know, it's been great for us because, you know, it's, again, it's, uh, it's a way to touch people. It's a way to keep the profile up, but it's also a way to build relationships. I mean, you know, similar to what you did here. I mean, you know, we connected online I and mean, this is a great example, right, Robert? You know, we, yeah, we connected absolutely. on, we connected online, right. Through LinkedIn. Yep. We, we, you know, we, 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 we had a call, you know, we, we got to know each other's, uh, you know, as people, as businesses. And then, you know, I'm a guest on your podcast, right? So now you and I have a relationship that will continue to build. And that's what I've done with the fueling deals podcast. Uh, you know, to continue to build relationships, it's produced business for me. And it's a way that we give valuable content out to people. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, you know, and it's fun. I, and I love doing it. So that's the other thing. Any of these things, you know, that listeners are thinking about doing, find what you love to do. For me, doing a podcast, uh, you know, interviewing people, I, I, I never, you know, I, I could do that all day. You know, I don't, right? Because I have other things. But, you know, I love doing it. So find that medium where you love doing it because it's going to come across to your audience. Yeah, and I, I love that. And you're absolutely right. You know, if you, if you want to do a podcast, be serious about it, be proactive, have a plan. And you, you, you've just got to make sure that you're really targeting the right people. Um, and I love that fueling the deals because some of your guests you've had on, some of their stories, I think that was the landscape business. Uh, one of your guests was on. I was hearing one of their highlights and their journey. So it really, really, it really is inspiring. So I absolutely just love that. And, and Corey, so many of your insights just generally in business are obviously featured in the Wall Street Journal, you know, the New York Times, the Investment News, financialplanning.com. Again, the list goes on and on and on. But if we were to kind of close with some, some sort of casing comments or some summary points that would be helpful for people as lawyers, business owners, what would you say are sort of your top three tips to, to people? Um, because, because you believe in values and growth and entrepreneurship, what are your three tips? I would say number one um, is get clear on your on your values and the value that you want to provide. Uh, all right, and then number two is be of service. Like I come from a service mentality. Okay, I truly believe that when you are of service to people, and, and by the way, you value yourself, right? So you're not giving away the value that, that you know. I mean, you give it away some things in content and make a difference, but in terms of the service you ultimately provide, you want to you know. So maybe the third tip is value yourself, right? Uh, properly, uh, but be of service. Okay. Uh, if, if you come from a place of, you know, just wanting to, you know, make money or, uh, you know, selfish place, that's actually when you don't grow. When you are provide value and you're of service to people, uh, then, uh, you know, the money will come. Everything will take care of itself. So, um, so get connected with your core values, be of service. And then know and honor your value. Uh, so for example, you know, we are not the least expensive solution out there by far. All right. We're not the most expensive, but we, you know, I am, uh, I know that for whatever we charge, whether it's, uh, for our legal services or for my speaking, that I'm going to give value at or beyond that to the audience. Um, so I own my value and I provide service. 
Great stuff. Well, Corey, it's been an absolute pleasure. Expert strategist, deal maker, business consultant, 30 years professional experience negotiating, a successful entrepreneur attorney. Um, I mean, I don't know how we managed to condense that into such a small time frame, but people most definitely should check out your LinkedIn if they've not. They should definitely check out your uh, podcast and definitely we're going to see you again on the Legally Speaking podcast. So on behalf of all of us, thanks so much for sharing your your insights today and uh, yeah, wishing you lots of continued success as well during this tough time. Robert, it's such a pleasure to be on. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I provided some value to your audience and folks, this too shall pass.